And we are going to be talking a whole lot about Bob Dylan and the Grateful Dead because we've got a guy who is like a super fan when it comes to both of those artists. Howard Weiner. And you definitely have to check out his website. Tangledupandtunes.com. He does this really cool This Day in History, but he also throws in facts and features about shows with importance. There's a lot of material in there that people could dig into, little mini articles and stuff. I write a lot of... uh, you know, on the anniversary shows, I talk about my favorite shows and excerpts from books that I wrote. Those books that he wrote always seem to uh, focus on Bob Dylan and the Grateful Dead. started with uh, Tangled Up in Tunes, Ballad of a Dylan Head. It's like a very personal tale of how I came to love music and seeing Dead and Dylan and, you know, again, busted by the police in Greensboro and making it to the show the next, all, all that kind of stuff. I wrote a book about the Jerry Garcia band, Positively Garcia. I rated the greatest Jerry Garcia band shows. I did one on the Grateful Dead 77, The Rise of Terror of the Nation, where I kind of do a little history leading up to it in a show-by-show of the, the entire year. Now Howard Weiner has a new book out. Dylan and the Grateful Dead, A Tale of Twisted Fate. With Jerry Garcia and Bob Dylan, yeah, there is fate, and yes, it is definitely twisted. It's interesting, the twisted part, because it's kind of like the story of the tortoise and the hare. Obviously, Garcia is the tortoise. He's, uh, he's the terrapin, because uh, Dylan, everything he did, boom. While Garcia was out in California, he was as into it as Dylan, as inspired. He had a different approach to life, very organic. I'll work with the people around me. I'm not all that interested in becoming famous, while Dylan was, you know, just lobbing hand grenades and going at it, you know, as, as hard as he could. And it became like a twist in history. Although the speed was different for Jerry Garcia and Bob Dylan, the path was very similar. When Garcia's uh, dropping out of the Army, Dylan's flunking out of high school. In 77, Dylan had blood on the tracks, and the dead were having their big year with Terrapin Station. And it always seemed like the history was meant to be put together. I, I never thought it would work as brilliantly as it did. It's like the history of American music was perfect. Even though they were, they were two separate worlds, it seemed like they were on the same path that was destined to hit. When those paths finally hit, it wasn't a clash. There's so many similarities and some differences between Bob Dylan and the Grateful Dead that it would be easy to compare and contrast, possibly even micromanage them. But in Howard Weiner's book, he takes the high road and he doesn't compare the music or musicians. When talking about the different eras of the Grateful Dead, he played it safe and at the same time, he was still very honest. It's hard to say take one exclusively over the other. But, you know, it's like I could... I could sit here and say 1972 was the best playing possibly where everybody was just exploding and growing at the same time. And then, you know, how could I put that ahead of 1977? See, you go back and forth with these crazy arguments. So, and on an intellectual level, you could say one period's better than the other. On an emotional level, another period might, might hit you more. So it's all good and it's all fun to be discussed. Howard's discussion points never get distracted by meaningless rat races. Instead, it always stays on course, and it stays with the race of the tortoise, Jerry Garcia, and the hare, Bob Dylan, who at some points in his career, he found himself having difficulty keeping up the intense speed that he set for himself. Dylan, he hung on to the songs that were, that were famous. He had such a catalog of songs that he never performed a lot of them live. So he was always the type of guy throughout his career. He left behind most of his songs, take what you need, leave the rest, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he took that to a tease, and he would leave behind these brilliant songs, which he would never play again. By leaving those deep tracks back on the trail for Jerry Garcia, he was able to really grasp the essence of Dylan's music. 
And that's what the hare can ultimately learn from the tortoise, the ability to stop, smell the roses. And Howard says that a virtue that Bob Dylan learned from the Grateful Dead was patience. At the tour rehearsals, it was almost like Dylan then needed to keep up with Jerry Garcia. You know, Garcia's playing some York for him. You know, all these songs Dylan had forgotten about. Garcia's like, you know, check this this one out. You wrote this song. Look at how great this is. Dylan, I, I think this is part of the, you know, the great uh, revelation Dylan had. He's like, I have this incredible archive of songs. I got to go back and rediscover my own songs. And, you know, Garcia helped, you know, wake him up to that. And, and in some cases, actually taught him the songs again. From the start of their career, the Grateful Dead were always learning from Bob Dylan. The Dead had already benefited so much from Dylan. It was so exciting for them to play with Dylan. It was like a dream come true. But by the time that Grateful Dead and Bob Dylan met up, Grateful Dead had already established their pace. But they, it didn't really change anything they did moving forward, except they added a few more Dylan songs to their first sets. Bob Weir loved it. It was a different story for Dylan's learning curve. Sometimes the Grateful Dead don't get the credit for you know their, their influence on Dylan. You know, the dead were on top of the world. Dylan was at the bottom. It was clear that the roles had reversed. The students then became the teachers. The Grateful Dead really did help Dylan rebuild the second half of his career. The Grateful Dead showed Dylan a new approach to the stage. He went on his never-ending tour. He saw the beauty in what the Grateful Dead did in finding the love in the moment of the music and just living the moment with what you have. He had the greatest archive of music right, right in his hands. He never had to write another song. And he just kind of relaxed and said, hey, I'm a performer. I'm going to kind of do in my own way. He always does everything in his own way. But in my own way, I'm going to kind of do what the Grateful Dead do. Bob Dylan combined his hair-like attack with the Grateful Dead's tortoise-like approach, and the numbers back it up. In the last 25 years of his career, he played as many live concerts as, as the Grateful Dead did during their entire long, strange trip for 30 years. Unfortunately, one page Bob Dylan probably won't take from the Grateful Dead playbook is the archival releases and coming out with series of Dylan concerts. They're very much more controlled with the legacy. They're really building a history with his releases. So they're very careful. They could go gung-ho releasing stuff, but it's very planned out, very, a lot of attention to detail and a lot of attention to legacy with each release. And we also talked about some of the difficulties he had encountered while writing the book, which didn't really seem to be difficult at all. I'll be honest about the most difficult part. There's nothing difficult. It's a, it's a labor of love. I love thinking about it every morning. It's a beautiful thing to you know, be, be obsessed with like, you know, on a project like that. But I think the, mo- the most difficult thing was actually getting it done. I wanted to get it done by July 12th, which was the anniversary of the Dylan Dead Show at Giant Stadium, which I was at, which was the, the greatest most exciting performance I was ever had in my life. And that says a lot coming from the author who has seen Bob Dylan 119 times, The Grateful Dead 152 times. But uh, Howard Weiner says that the book can be for anybody who even has just even a slight interest in both the artists. There's a lot of Grateful Dead fans that aren't extremely well-versed on Dylan and vice versa. I think that's kind of my forte in life, that I, I love both and you know, passionately, and I see the connections so hopefully, uh, you know, people who read the book will, whatever they're more drawn to, it will increase their love for the other person because really Dylan Dead fans are very connected to the same type of fans. The fans got along for the Dylan and Dead tour. However, the critics, once again, they were confused from Dylan's career move. It took a little while. Some people were still tough to it. There's like some great critics who write great stuff about Dylan, um, you know, just destroyed the dead shows because they really don't understand the dead world 
but yet a lot of people took it on. If Bob Dylan is this hot for the Grateful Dead, loves Jerry Garcia, and thinks this much of the music, that should have spoken up that Dylan fans should give it a chance, and most of them did. That impact can still be felt to this day. The newer generation of uh, Dylan fans have a really high respect for the, for the Grateful Dead, I find, in most parts. Howard is definitely a fan of both the bands. The only time that Weiner gets critical is when it comes to his passion for the music. But the book doesn't take any sides on who is better. Music's a collaboration, not a competition. Uh, the views in the book is going to be honest, and they don't play to favorites. The Grateful Dead are probably a better live band, a live experience. Uh, the Grateful Dead, I really hold that the live music holds weight. But the, uh, obviously, Dylan, Dylan has superiority when it comes to the studio. The man was a genius in the studio. And just he would just show up and play some songs. It would be the best stuff you ever heard. Where the Grateful Dead, uh, you know, kind of never had that mojo in the studio. So let's give, let's give the Grateful Dead the live uh, ground. Let's give uh, Dylan the studio. When the Dead and Dylan toured, it was 1987. And by that year, Dylan was already a favorite and achieved legend status. You're Bob Dylan. You don't have to write any more songs. You're going to be the greatest songwriter ever. So it wasn't like he had to discover something new. And that was when Dylan started looking for a change. He was tired of being Bob Dylan, all the baggage that came with it. He did like hiding behind the band in, in 86, even though he, he really can't do that because he's so huge, he's Dylan. But I think he really enjoyed having, you know, playing with other famous people and being part of a group. Dylan wasn't the only person on stage feeling the love. Garcia loved it. But Dylan, besides asking the dead to be part of uh, the band, on, which he did on February 12, 1989, he played with the dead. The next day, he has to be part of the band, um, and it was vetoed by one member. To make a decision in The Grateful Dead, the band had to be 100% on board. One member voted against the idea of having Dylan in the band, and it was very rare that The uh, Grateful Dead would go member recruiting. Even Jerry Garcia had a very tight-knit comfort zone. That's one thing about The Grateful Dead. It's, it's kind of funny because they're such an, like, an open, you know, improv, free-form, you know, the whole hate Ashbury openness and all that, but it was a very controlled scene as far as being in the band. Only a few select people were allowed into the Grateful Dead circle, and the door would swing both ways. His allowed mistress was the Jerry Garcia band. Other artists had very little impact. But he never really could break free into a tour with Dylan or Fogarty. There was two factors to this decision. He was part of the Dead family, and they wanted to control that. And also Garcia, I really... I think felt a great comfort in it. As much as he may have been, uh, felt like a little bit of a prisoner of it, he felt great comfort being part of the Grateful Dead scene. It was his whole life. Bob Dylan, on the other hand, he didn't have to wait long. Early 1988. To find a band. He got together with... He found a Beatle. Harrison. And a Heartbreaker. Teddy. The Soul of Rock and Roll. Orbison. Then there was the Production Master. And Jeff Lynne. Early in the book, Howard, he even talked about the possibility of another Wilbury, and that Wilbury would have been Jerry Garcia. Yeah, that's my fantasy. I think he actually would have been like the perfect member for it. It's a very hard thing for Garcia to break out of his little circle. It was actually easier for guys like Harrison and Teddy to freely intermingle. Garcia did very, it's really amazing. Garcia really did very little of that outside of his nucleus of San Francisco people that he grew up with. Jerry would have definitely been the perfect candidate for the Traveling Woolberries with the uh, versatility and the fact that he could lead and follow. Garcia is not looking to hog anything. He would have played like the perfect leads and done like the, the beautiful singing in the background. And I think uh, his name would have been Spud Wilbury. You know, it would have been like the perfect addition if, uh, 
if it could have happened. There was already a strong connection with the Traveling Woolberries. One of the members, Tom Petty, had already opened up for Bob Dylan and the Grateful Dead. Petty fans got turned on to Dylan and the Grateful Dead and, and vice versa. And then Petty, from that point forward, really stepped up his musicianship. After the Grateful Dead tour, you can even notice a difference in Dylan stepping up his musicianship. The Grateful Dead really, really helped Dylan kind of find himself as a performing artist when they performed together. Backed up with the numbers, the band definitely turned the singer-songwriter into a road warrior. In 2011, uh, somewhere in Australia, Dylan played a show. And I think it was like the 2,319th show of the NeverEnding Tour, which started in 1988. In less time than it took the Grateful Dead to play all the shows they played, in the second half of Dylan's career, he played more shows than the Grateful Dead. It's crazy. You know, it's, um, it, it, it influenced him that much that he just redirected his career. Something else that happened after the Dylan Dead tour was a live album. You know, the Grateful Dead suggested this giant stadium show. That performance appeared to be a no-brainer. The Dead just backed the hell out of Dylan that night. Garcia was on fire. The show was contagious. Dylan on. The performers knew that the tape didn't lie. Weir and Garcia that this was the album that they wanted mostly songs from that show. Dylan being Dylan though he went the other way. For whatever reason Dylan probably got so removed from what he did that night he looked at it you know in the, in the rear view mirror with no passion so okay we're gonna put this album together select a couple songs. During the production process, it was obvious that Dylan not only went the other way, but he also went the wrong way. Dylan was playing songs on a boombox. You know, he's mixing the songs on a boombox, listening to it. And Garcia was looking look at it. I'm like, what the hell are you doing? This is the way you're, you're looking at the album. Dylan was pulling a classic Dylan card. It's almost like self-sabotage. Which is what Dylan does. Dylan admitted to kind of sabotaging himself a little in the early 70s with uh, self-portrait and you know, not putting out his best foot. In an unconscious way, maybe he did that with this album. Hardcore fans didn't like it. You know, I have trouble explaining it. The critics didn't like it. Not a good album. However, the tapes still don't lie. The great album existed definitely from the Giant Stadium show, July 12, 1987. <laughs> Howard Weiner, he is my guest tonight uh, talking about his new book, Dylan and the Dead, A Tale of Twisted Fate. You can check him out on his website, tangledupintunes.com. And the man definitely did his homework. You got to check out his book. And it's all there at his website, tangledupintunes.com. Even in a room with Dylan, you know, you got these two great talents in there. Dylan looked at Garcia. You would think Dylan would be the big brother. But in their relationship, in many ways, Jerry was the big brother by default. The big brother relationship did carry over on the stage. Some fans would go back and forth. Was the Grateful Dead backing up Bob Dylan, or was Bob Dylan a guest on the Grateful Dead stage? I think it's more Dylan was a guest on the Grateful Dead stage. I think that's the way he perceived it, too. The weird thing is, it's always the other way around. The, the band is always backing Dylan. Dylan trusted that Garcia knew what he was doing. And he's like, this guy gets my music. Is very unusual. Dylan's usually a control freak with the music, and he's directing it. But this is one time where you let the Grateful Dead kind of dictate the uh, musical arrangements. Bob Dylan's respect for Jerry Garcia just didn't end there on the stage. Even his, in his eulogy when Jerry passed away, he, he said something like, he's, he's a big brother or taught me more than he'll ever know. Garcia was like a natural leader. Howard Weiner is my guest this evening. He wrote a book called Dylan and the Dead, A Tale of Twisted Fate. Isn't even a year old yet. 
However, Howard, he already has an idea of what his next book's going to be all about. It's numerology, it's history. This book is going to go back to being on the focus of the Grateful Dead. I think Deadheads are going to love it. It's going to be like catnip Deadheads. When reading the new book, a calendar will definitely come in handy. I could throw out things like 10, 1974, and if I'm speaking to a certain audience, everyone knows what I'm talking about. I don't have to say another word. I could just say 10, 1974, and everybody knows that's the winterland. Howard gives a great rundown of what it's all about. I'm taking individual dates through dead history, like October 19th. On that day in 1971, Keith Gacho played his first uh, show with the band. The debut of Jack Straw, Comes a Time, and all these great songs. A year later, they're at the Fox Theater, a great show. But it just doesn't stop there. 1974, they're at the Winterland, the next to last show, with the great eyes of the world. How about another one? In uh, 1981, on October 19th, Garcia plays his only show in Barcelona, Spain. That's probably the best show of the year. I'm taking like the greatest days in the history of the Grateful Dead, and each day is a history within itself. TangledUpInTunes.com, that is Howard Weiner's website. Check that out. I'm Corey Daniels. You're listening to Dead Air.